Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to a new episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined this time by Matthew Collar of Purple Insider. Matthew, thank you for taking the time to join. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. And you caught me at a great time just off of an OTA practice that we got to stand out there and watch. I mean, we also listened to Zoom press conferences, which were about as football-y as you will ever hear. At one point, Brian O'Neill said, Clint Kubiak, man, he's a guy who really loves football. I was like, okay, (laughs) I guess these guys want to play. These guys didn't want to come to OTAs. They sound like they do to me. (laughs) <laughs> right. I, I loved Irv Smith talking about his cousin dietitian and, and feeling uh, slow from eating bad food. It was the most we could ever relate to an NFL athlete and feeling slow after eating poorly. It's like, yep, we get that. Well, I've adopted midday naps now in my mid thirties and I don't know where I was before. I, re- I just, it was only because I was eating bad food and was tired like Irv, but <laughs> not, I mean, it's, it's glorious though. A little more energy toward the end of the day. I highly suggest if you take nothing away from this podcast other than that, naps. Try naps. It. Yeah, it's clutch. Very clutch. Uh, well, guys, we're going to end up talking about OTAs. We're going to talk about what you can and can't take away from them. The Vikings approach with their rookies, which raises some eyebrows, um, overrated, underrated storylines. And then I want to ask Matthew for some predictions, and then we'll have some fun at the end of this podcast. But um, if you guys haven't, I should implore everybody. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you already follow Matthew on Twitter and, and uh, subscribe to Purple Insider. But if you don't, I implore you to go check out his work. He does great work with Sam Ekstrom over there. And those are two names that you guys should know if you are part of Vikings Twitter, certainly. Um, all right, Matthew, you brought up OTAs. We stood on the berm. We're still kept far away because we're dirty media. We got to be kept far away from the team. Um, under the COVID media policies. What could you squint and see and take away from, from these OTAs? What really is there to learn from what we just saw on Wednesday? Well, I don't think there's anything to learn about the thing people really want to learn about, which is the offensive line and the offensive line men who are new, especially since Christian Derrissaw did not participate in the practice that we saw with a groin thing, I think is how Mike Simber described it, groin thing or something, groin pull or something was what he said. Um, But even then, even if we wanted to tell everyone about Christian Derrissaw and Wyatt Davis, they're not really doing anything. And Zimmer went into detail about how they're mostly just trying to get the mental part of it down in OTAs. It's not physical at all. Uh, They even put on the white helmets there that um, I I don't exactly know the purpose and no one has really told us specifically exactly what it is. Um, But I assume it's some sort of safety measure to kind of uh, maybe quell the aggressiveness of the guys in OTA practices. So nobody gets hurt, but I'm not really sure. Um, But either way, like those are the biggest intrigue when we get to camp and when the pads come on is can those guys win those jobs and solidify this offensive line? And it's hard because we can't tell you anything about that. Um, Now, watching Kellen Mond, we can't really tell you a lot about that either because he's QB four right now. And I think I've seen him throw in 11 on 11 reps, maybe three passes, maybe four passes over these two practices. So that can't tell you much about that either. I, I will say that I've noticed that Irv Smith looks 
uh, bigger, as our friend Courtney Cronin said directly to him on the Zoom call. She said, Irv, are you bigger? <laughs> um, uh, and that's and that's how we ended up talking about um, New Orleans food and naps and, and whatever. But um, so he, to me, has looked very good and looks like he's prepared to take on this job and put on some weight, look stronger. Uh, and I would say the, the other wide receivers not named Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, no one has stuck out to me. Now it's OTAs. So sometimes Davion Davis sticks out to you and you go, Oh, who's this guy or, or Jordan Taylor. And those guys don't even make the team. So it's hard to find a correlation between what's going to happen months from now and what's happening right now. But when you see guys not even being able to effectively catch the ball that's being thrown to them, it doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence that the wide receiver three spot is going to be anybody other than Chad Beebe. I think that that's, that's probably my biggest uh, takeaway. And then, I mean, we haven't seen some of the corners. Uh, Cameron Dantzler hasn't participated the two weeks. Patrick Peterson, I thought looked really good. The first week we saw him uh, wasn't there yesterday. Uh, and, you know, look, Harrison hand, I guess is the OTA hero. Cause we've seen two interceptions from him. Um, but, you know, I, other than that, it's like, how are you supposed to tell if pass rushers look good? If linemen look good, if, you know, I don't know that do you agree with the wide receiver thing though? No one has really stuck out to me. Yeah. And that's the thing when they're not in pads and they're playing, what's really a passing league style of football. This is when the passing game should be connecting. And we just happened to see a practice. It was the fifth OTA for the Vikings. It was just the second open to media and it was bad. It was four interceptions. It was the wide receivers bobbling passes into interceptions. It was Kirk cousins leading his wide receivers too far into other interceptions um, it just didn't look good. And, and I think the newcomer that everybody wants to see Amir Smith Marset, he's the one who bobbled a Kellen Mond pass that again, it was just one of four passes Mond through in 11 on 11 sessions yesterday. Uh, it was perfectly placed deep ball down the sideline and Amir Smith Marset bobbles it multiple times. And Josh Metellus comes down with an interception and that's not on Mond. That's not on the quarterback, but again, the wide receivers need to be looking good in these phases. And like you had mentioned Davion Davis before, um, some of these other guys that we had said, Jordan Taylor is another great one. Um, Kubiak guy that, that didn't even end up making the team. But um, I thought KJ Osborne has looked decent just in terms of him doing things that he's supposed to do. It doesn't mean that when the pads come on, though, that he's going to look like that. And that's where we always kind of get lost in some of these evaluations of OTAs is that it's a whole different game when you actually suit up and play it the way you're supposed to. And when corners can actually press you and when you don't get free releases all the time all these different things that kind of add into it once training camp actually comes. And it's really hard for me to see anybody um, unless a Smith Marset or one of these guys, Osborne maybe continues this kind of upward trajectory that people want to see from them. It's hard for me to see anybody else, but a Chad Beebe or somebody who's already established in this offense, taking those kinds of reps. But like you mentioned with Irv Smith, they're going to have him so involved. They're going to have Tyler Conklin so involved uh, CJ Ham's going to continue to be on the field a lot. Um, is, is there really going to be much room for a wide receiver three? Are they really going to need it outside of those third and sevens and third and eights? Which, frankly, the biggest question mark about this team when you get to that is more of the offensive line. It's more about can you hold up in those scenarios um, when you couldn't against an Atlanta Falcons and a Grady Jarrett? Um, that was always such an issue for them. And so, like you had mentioned, we're not going to learn much about this offensive line at all. Ezra Cleveland comes out yesterday and he says, I feel stronger. I've been, you know, I kind of put uh, a lot of my emphasis this off season on building up my body, but we're not going to know how far he's come until August until he's going up against Michael Pierce, Dalvin Tomlinson. I think with those defensive additions up front, we're going to learn a lot about this interior of the offensive line 
um, for the Vikings. And that's what I'm interested to learn about. But yeah, the wide receiver stuff, I definitely agree. You want to see those guys stand out because this is when they should. And frankly, nobody really has. And, And that's not a good sign. Yeah, I've been on the sign a wide receiver three train for the entire offseason. And, and you're absolutely right that we're talking about an offense that uses a lot of 12 personnel and has two tight ends on the field a lot with Tyler Conklin. They clearly like him, but we're also talking about Tyler Conklin here. I mean, he did a good job toward the end of the season, but this isn't some established player. This is a guy who you would sort of peg more as, oh, he's in the game. He can definitely make a play if he comes in and plays, you know, 25% of the snaps, not someone that you would build your offense in part around like Irv Smith was. You draft Irv in the second round and he can move around. You're going to put him at slot. You're going to put him outside. And I thought they even left some meat on the bone with that the last two years with Irv, but he was kind of a wide receiver three in a way. I don't look at uh, Tyler Conklin so much as being that way. And I also think that, you know, those third and sevens and third and eights that you referenced, I mean, a lot of times that's where defenses are focusing so much attention on Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. And when you look at Kirk Cousins and one of his biggest shortcomings, I feel like it's the fact that he will kind of hone in on those guys and then hold the ball too long. And then that's where your third down sack comes. And not that the offensive line isn't responsible, but Cousins was also responsible for a lot of his own sacks by not getting rid of the football. Like for somebody who's kind of known as an executor of the offense, he hangs onto the ball for a long time. I mean, even just by the numbers, one of the slowest snap to release quarterbacks in the NFL, which A, is why you should have invested more uh, on guards, honestly. I mean, just, you know, in, in free agency and, and everything else. But I also think it's because he kind of tries to go through where he's supposed to go with the football. And if he gets to Chad Beebe and he's not open, he's probably just going to take a sack. And I feel like when he was in Washington, he had Jamison Crowder, who was not some superstar, but was competent, was good uh, out of the slot. And they have not had that. I mean, just it always sticks out to me in 2018 when he targeted Laquan Treadwell on multiple key fourth downs. <laughs> it's like, man, this guy's not even uh, really an NFL player and you're still going in that direction. So you kind of need to have as many of these people who can um, get open as possible. And I guess I just don't get it. Like they have cap space um, have they chased anyone? We've heard maybe a rumor of D.D. Westbrook, and I guess that's still a possibility. But I feel like it's a little bit of a missing piece still on this offense to drop off too, especially if someone gets you know an ankle tweak or whatever, uh, to drop off from Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, all the way to Chad Beebe. Um, you know, if you're going to your third read or something like I, I think that that will matter in a game that's sort of defined by big situations in a game. You know they love themselves some Chad Beebe, though, and you know it's still a Kubiak calling and running this offense. I just I think Chad Beebe is one of those guys that they think a lot more highly of than, than anybody on the outside, and for good reason, because he hasn't, in terms of the outside perspective, because he hasn't been able to stay healthy, and when he is on the field, there have been some missed opportunities. Uh, Kirk was very hard to connect with him early on third downs in the season before Beebe kind of got going there at the end of the year with a couple plays. Um, I just think they think so highly of Chad that they're not going to invest in that position and the way this offense is built, but yeah, maybe they do bring in a, a DD Westbrook. That makes sense in terms of the connection with Keenan McCardell and Jacksonville. Certainly um, speaking of the quarterbacks though, in the offensive linemen, what do you think about their approach with the rookies this year? Now, this is just the Mike Zimmer approach though, in general, and I should say this time of year, um, every spring, you know, whether it was Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, like they just bring guys along slowly. Uh, Justin Jefferson last year doesn't start. And when he does, finally, he breaks out and arguably you could have started him in week one, but they wait until week three. 
what do you think about their approach with the rookies this year as it comes to Kellen Mond being QB4 and as it comes to these uh, rookie offensive linemen working with the backups? When it comes to OTAs, I mean, I've got no problem with it at all. Uh, I mean, Kellen Mond ha- has not really been under center very much in his life. And so that's going to be a huge adaptation for him to just get the footwork down on these rollouts and bootlegs that they do so often. Um, I think that they look like sometimes when somebody's doing a rollout, like you in your backyard playing with your kid or something, just running around. Uh, but they're very specific in terms of the footwork and the steps you need to take and how that matches up with receiver routes and everything everything. And for someone who hasn't had to do this before, that's going to take a lot of work and a lot of repetition. And not only that, but you're talking about an NFL playbook. Like we've heard this so many times of, Hey, they run a pro style offense in college. It's not close. It's not close at all. You can run the pro is pro style in college, but the level of detail is just not anywhere near what it is in the NFL. And then you add the speed of the defense that you're going to have to face to the level of detail and how quick your mind has to speed up. I mean, it's okay to me to take the first couple of weeks of OTAs and say, why don't you go in slow motion? Why don't you limit the amount of reps so you don't get overly frustrated and just bring yourself along slowly for Kellen Mond. Um, But there's also kind of a, I guess a clock ticking for me of, all right, when is this a thing though? You know? And so if we go and they're putting on pads at training camp and we're two weeks in and Kellen Mond is QB four, I think we're going to go, okay, what's going on here. Right. Um, But the approach overall, I think is fine. I mean, the offensive linemen, same thing. There's so much more to learn when it comes to defenses. I know that Rick Dennison is extremely specific about how he wants his offensive linemen to perform. It's like not, not your foot going down six inches from where it is. It's, it's gotta be in that exact spot. Like that's the NFL. And so uh, bringing these guys along, Um, it also probably helps the first team offense a little bit. Like they're not having to stop and say, Oh, uh, Wyatt, that's just not the play. Uh, you know what I mean? So you can say, okay, Dakota Dozier, Rashad Hill, they're going to know the play when you run the offense and so forth. And, and they don't have to focus on those like very specific teaching points for rookies. No problem at all. But with them, same deal though. When is it all of a sudden what's going on here? And I think your point is exactly right. That when you go through uh, the past, it's very rare that they've just said, okay, you know, draft pick, you're the guy, let's go out there. You're probably better than whoever we've got. And uh, likelihood is that Kellen Mond is quite a bit better than Jake Browning in terms of his talent. There's no question. And with the offensive linemen, uh, there's absolutely no doubt that the players who are drafted are more talented than the guys who are in there right now. So eventually there has to be a plan. And I thought, I don't know if you interpreted it this way. I thought that Zimmer... Um, left the door open for that with the lineman. I thought he kind of laid out the path when we asked him about it uh, to, to say like, look guys, you know, we're, there's going to be a little trial by fire. We'll get there, but you know, it's just a process. So for now, okay, no problem. If Dakota Dozier is going into the third preseason game as the starting guard, then yeah, like, okay guys, what is going on here? Yeah, I know Rick Dennison likes himself some Dakota Dozier, but when the front office brings that guy back with zero guaranteed, and then they draft a guard in the third round, and you cut Riley Reef and Darisaw is obviously your day one starter at left tackle. Um, these things, I, I think eventually the offensive linemen are going to work themselves into the mix. Davis is the bigger question mark, and you do have that fallback of Dozier, who's at least started games for you, even though not very well. Um, I do think that there is a clearer path for them. With Mond, it's a little bit amplified because the two guys in front of them are Jake Browning and Nate Stanley. They're not 
These are not guys that have – they haven't thrown an NFL pass. In Nate Stanley's case, he hasn't even played in a preseason game. And so he's right where Mond is, except just not having an extra year in the playbook. So I think with Mond, we're going to learn a lot about how quickly he mentally latches onto this stuff and then translates it, like you said, with the footwork, under center, on the field, all that stuff. If, if we are sitting there in mid-August and we're still seeing Mond work behind either of those two guys – it's going to speak a lot to about how he's still trying to kind of catch up and kind of, you know, drink from a fire hose, as they say, with this kind of playbook. Um, so with that said, what are some of the more overrated storylines you think coming out of this spring in terms of what people are talking about with the Minnesota Vikings? What are they talking about too much? We probably just got to, the, <laughs> I mean, honestly, uh, the offensive lineman not starting in OTAs is just, to me, it's yeah. just not a big deal. It's totally fine. And the same thing with Jake Browning. It's like, okay, look, you've set up this pretty low hurdle to jump over. And if Kellen Mond can't jump over that when it comes to training camp, then we're going to know something about Kellen Mond. I think he was drafted to be this team's backup this year with hopes that he could develop into much more someday. And if he can't, catch up quick enough to be past an undrafted free agent that is your size and doesn't have a big arm. I mean, you know, look, then maybe this wasn't a great draft pick is kind of how I'm going to look at it. And I, I know you don't want to judge it too quickly, but you should be able to clear the Jake Browning hurdle and we're going to learn about him eventually. So right now it's like, I don't know, the guy's probably just trying to get his footwork down. I did think it was kind of interesting that Mike Zimmer said he's coming along pretty well mentally, not this guy's got a cannon. He's throwing it all over the place. His accuracy is unbelievable, but uh smart kid, you know? So I don't know. It's a, th it's a third round pick though. That's the other part of it. It's a third round pick and go through the history of third round picks. You got a lot of Sean Mannions and Garrett Grayson's like a they're very, very few Russell Wilson's or Dak Prescott's who end up being drafted past the second round. So I look at it as this is going to be an overrated storyline for the whole season. Like, the storyline is much more focused on, on Kirk cousins now underrated. Um, it's probably some of the assumptions that we make. Like we just sort of assume that the defensive line is going to be a lot better and that Delvin Tomlinson is going to just be fine as a three technique when that wasn't his position. Um, if they don't sign anyone on, on the defensive line, then I guess it's Steven Weatherly and DJ Wanham. I thought DJ Wanham looks very big. Like he had put on some muscle clearly uh, cause he got, he got close to our, what, what did you call it? Our Ridge or whatever. Yeah. Our, our berm. Yeah. Our, our, our berm. berm. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the yeah. grassy knoll. He approached the berm. Um, <laughs> even, even though it's funny. Cause like we're safer scientifically than some of the people yeah. who are out on the field, but that's not here nor there. Um, it's just, uh, so I thought like he looks really big and so yeah. forth, but if they don't sign anyone or make a trade or something for another pass rusher, um, are we assuming that they're going to be a way better pass rush, even with Daniel Hunter coming back because they only had what 23 sacks last year. If Hunter comes back and gets 10, then it's 33 sacks and you're still about 25 behind where the top teams usually are. Um, so I don't know where those sacks are, are coming from. And then I also think, and I know it interests you too, um, but Anthony Barr is kind of coming into this like final year. I mean, this is kind of it for Anthony Barr as a Minnesota Viking um, which I, which I just think in general is interesting. It's not something like to watch in training camp, but it's just sort of an interesting concept that he more or less told us, look, this is it guys. This is going to be my final year here. When we talked to him the other day. 
Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was pretty candid as Barr always is when we get to the chance to talk to him. And I remember he had talked about how he just didn't want last year to be his last raw, wanted to come back and, and at least have a different, you know, final taste in his mouth when it comes to the Minnesota Vikings and his time here. Um, he is going to be a free agent in 2022 and that meshes with the pass rush questions too, because if they're going to be better as a pass rush, Anthony Barr has to be a part of it. He has to be a big part of the blitz schemes. He has to be a big part of how offenses pay attention to him and free up other guys. Uh, it's just the question is, who are you freeing up? And I think with the pass rushers they currently have, and we're, again, we're counting, when we talk about this, we're counting Daniel Hunter as coming back and assuming he's going to be healthy and assuming he's going to be the same guy and that they're going to make him happy in terms of contractually. Um, they have to be able to have a master class in terms of their blitz schemes. And whether it's Mackenzie Alexander from the slot, Eric Kendricks, Anthony Barr, they need to get back to the 2017 ways that they really disrupted people with their third down pressure schemes, because we just hadn't seen that when they lost those pieces and they just weren't as effective. And you could tell Mike Zimmer couldn't do everything he wanted to do. I was talking to one of your, one of your guys over at purple insider, Jeremiah Searles the other day, and he was saying Mike Zimmer was, was trying to play chess with checkers pieces. Like it just wasn't working out last year with what they wanted to do in terms of the, the defensive pieces they had. And so if he can get back to playing chess and doing some of those things that can answer a lot of the pass rush questions. We just need to see all these guys that we're talking about come back healthy. And we haven't even talked about another underrated question, in my opinion, is the second safety spot, the cornerbacks, just the coverage. Like we don't, we're not assuming Jeff Gladney is going to be back for this team. He could end up on some commissioner's exempt list for all we know. And is Xavier Woods going to be as good as Anthony Harris was or wasn't at times in his Vikings tenure? Um, are they right? We're seeing Harrison Hand, Chris Boyd, they're playing first team corner right now. Cameron Dantzler, who needed to get bigger and stay healthy, isn't healthy right now. He's got his right leg wrapped and he's watching team drills from what we saw on Wednesday. That kid needs to get in there and get better. Um, is Patrick Peterson the same guy that he was two years ago? Because he certainly wasn't at, his, at the end of his Cardinals tenure. There are just so many questions on this Vikings defense that, yeah, we could, we could run through them for a very long time. Um, I mean, well, doesn't it feel like almost every position and quarterbacks are always this way. So take that off the, the table and just assume Kirk's going to play the whole season, but almost every position outside of running back, you go, if one guy gets hurt, where are you at? And, and this is why with this remaining cap space, I'm very fascinated to see what they do because last year they had a little remaining cap space and they traded for Yanni Kagakwe who they could really use right now. Side note. Uh, but um, you know, they, that was, they spent it on one player and that was their strategy. Like, is that going to be their strategy again? Usually they don't like if they go to the mall with a hundred bucks, they're spending a hundred bucks when it comes to the salary cap. Um, so they have 14 million now. What are they going to do with it? Some of it I'm sure is earmarked for Brian O'Neill. Some of it might be used when it comes to Daniil Hunter, but um, there are players on the free agent market. And, and I think the secondary is one where you need to sign. I know they brought somebody in, but like you need to sign a legitimate safety. Uh, you might have to wait a long time for that until the game of musical chairs plays out and somebody doesn't have a chair and you say, okay, well, you get to play for our team and be a backup. Um, you know, but that, that exists for a lot of different positions here for wide receiver. Like we talked about um, for safety, certainly. I mean, they have, you know, Cameron Bynum, who is adjusting from cornerback to safety, Josh Metellus. These are the backups for Xavier Woods. Somebody gets banged up there. You're going from a proven starter in Harris Smith, not only a starter, but one of the great players in the game to 
Josh Metellus, who we don't even know can, can play at all. Like these are not, these are not like, oh, you've been developing this guy. He's pretty good. It's not going Sendejo to Harris. It's going from a starter to all the way, you know, kind of at the bottom. And, and that's what they ran into last year quite a bit when there were injuries. So when a team says, oh, you know, we had a bunch of injuries, it's like, well, well, what does that mean though? Does that mean you, you drafted poorly and you didn't have guys who could fill in? Does it mean you spent your money on one Yannick Ngakwe instead of three other players who could have been depth for you? I think they need to avoid making that same mistake, but we might not see some of these veterans who get signed until like the first week of, you know, training camp or something. Yeah, they are extremely, extremely thin at safety. And it, it, this this roster has kind of a stars and scrubs feel to it, where they're just, I know before there was no middle class and the NFL is kind of weeding them out in general, but you don't have your Brian Robinsons, your Jarius Wrights. And the guys that you did develop, you just lost them. Eric Kendricks, Anthony Harris, they kind of went to that natural progression of getting their next big contract and the Vikings were never really intending to pay him to begin with. And so I just, I think it's interesting to see how, you look back at certain decisions too, especially at safety where tagging Anthony Harris did not work out for anybody. And that was a decision where, Hey, maybe you could have moved on then and then try to develop somebody then. And you wouldn't be in the position you are now where you're wondering if Xavier Woods is going to be that guy. Um, Matthew, I want you to fill in the blank here, make some predictions, some hot takes. Okay. Okay. I I can do this. (laughs) Speaking of the pass rush, the Vikings sack leader in 2021 will be blank. I mean, I assume the sack leader is going to be Daniil Hunter. If Daniil Hunter is traded, say, I'll say the sack leader is Melvin Ingram. Ooh, I like that. that. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. The Vikings interception leader. This one's a little bit tougher. The Vikings interception leader will be blank. Well, I I think uh, I might have to go kind of chalk here and just go with Harrison Smith. Um, I don't know. I mean, like just people don't throw picks like they used to. Andrew. You, used to <laughs> you used to get like Deion Sanders would get like seven picks in a year yeah. or something. And now it just doesn't happen that often. So I was looking at ESPN's projections for the Vikings. I don't think they had a guy with two interceptions for the year in terms of their projection. <laughs> like, so I, I'll just go Harrison because he's just the best player there. I'm going to guess Mackenzie Alexander, just because I think he's a guy who obviously knows the system coming back a little more of a veteran, probably their best corner, unless Patrick Peterson takes a, you know, returns to form, I should say. Um, I just think, I wonder if they're going to have to stick Harrison back, you know, like they did last year where the corners were so susceptible Mm -hmm. that you had to kind of push him back a little bit. Last one I got for you, Vikings best offensive lineman, not named Brian O'Neill will be blank. Mm, Now that's a good one. Because all of them, you could kind of make a case either way. You could make, you know, you could say, well, if Darisaw sort of maximizes his ability quickly, which doesn't happen a lot for rookie tackles, but if it, it does click, it's Tristan Wirfs and the guy's great, right? Um, you know, I guess I'm going to say Ezra Cleveland, though, because I, I still had some questions about Ezra Cleveland um, going from, you know, of course, left tackle to right guard, which seemed sort of ludicrous. And then now he's got to go from guard back over to other guard. And then the guy is really more of a tackle just in how he's shaped in his history. And I don't know, maybe there'll be a 30 for 30 on why Ezra Cleveland never played tackle, right? (laughs) It's just been this thing of, we can never get any answers. Why was he never tried? You had to draft a first rounder the next year with, after you took a second rounder who you never even attempted to play at left tackle, even when you had the opportunity in week 17 to get some small sample. And you just said, Nope, the guy is a hundred percent a guard. 
But I, I still think in terms of his athleticism uh, and his experience from last year, he showed some toughness. I think he can definitely improve on the pass blocking, um, but he was like a legitimately decent run blocker right off the bat. And I think he'll do that again, especially paired with another great athlete in Christian Derrissaw. Uh, there is a possibility for Garrett Bradbury to take a step forward. Um, I was really intrigued by a PFF study that a lot of rookie centers and even in their second year struggle quite a bit. Um, and it's really not to get to third and fourth year that they reach their peak, unlike some other players who reach it much faster. Um, now that I guess that makes it questionable that you draft them in the first round if they're rarely good early on. But um, I think that there's there's more meat on that bone and maybe a little more talent on his right and left can really help because, I mean, you just think of the you know, the, the number of people who have come and gone with next to him and who's been good. I mean, it's been pretty much nobody. So now he's got an opportunity to solidify himself left and right, uh, left and right guard guys that he can, you know, build chemistry with and who can pass block. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm still going to go with Ezra Cleveland, but I think there's the possibility Garrett Bradbury at least improves his pass blocking with some help enough to be like close to average. I was going to say your answer says a lot about Garrett Bradbury if it's not him because they need it to be him. They they really need it to be him, not only because of the draft capital they put in, but they just need that interior offensive line to be better. And a guy entering year three should just inherently be better than a guy entering year two um, coming off the kind of years that they've had. And, and to your point, um, Garrett Bradbury had Drew Samia and Dakota Dozier starting alongside him for, I think, five of the games early last year. And that was after Pat Elfline went down after the opener. Um, and, and yeah, it's not like Pat Elfline has been any good either. So it's, it's been rough for Garrett on either side of him. And maybe he'll finally get some help here. If Wyatt Davis and Ezra Cleveland end up being a lot better than they had before, which, which doesn't say too much. Um, all right, let's have some fun with this before I let you go, Matthew, um, in, in light of kind of, or in vain of what you do over there at purple insider, I want to have a little bit of fun with some of these games. I stole some of the ideas that you have that you do with some of your guests over there. And one of them that popped into my mind is this game called Stefan Diggs tweet or Confucius proverb? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. That's good. I just, yeah, everybody, everybody knows every Vikings follower, you know, they, they know the Stefan Diggs Twitter experience. And so I, I want to see if you can correctly guess, I got a handful of these here. I want to see if you can correctly guess which is which now let me know this quote when all is said and done, more is always said than done. Is that a mm. Stefan Diggs tweet or a Confucius proverb? It, it seems almost a little long for Stefan Diggs. So I'm going to go Confucius proverb. Nope. That is a Stefan Diggs Ow. tweet. <laughs> Off to an over one star. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not super familiar with Confucius' work. So <laughs> neither was I, but when I was coming up with this, I decided to look them up and, and look up a bunch of the lines. And again, please, if, if there's any uh, Confucius experts out there and you know, this is all BS, it's just what the internet says. So I don't know. I, these, these are internet collections of what claim to be Confucius proverbs. Um, and they just align so much with Stefan Diggs tweets. I thought, oh, wait, I are you saying it's possible that there could be Confucius misinformation? <laughs> like <there might be. laughs> Man, you can't trust anything you read these days, but you can always trust Stefan Diggs Twitter account. What is this? Everything has beauty, but not everyone sees it. Is that a Stefan Diggs tweet or Confucius proverb? Mm-hmm. Everything has beauty, but not everyone sees it. I, I I'm going to stay with uh, Confucius here. Um, you got that one, right? <laughs> okay. Okay. 
that, right, one, one, but not, but I'm not sure, but I'm not sure. I mean, I had no confidence because that sounds exactly <laughs> like something he would say. These will get a little easier here. I just, I had to start off with the ones that are most, most aligned. Can I tell you my favorite Stefan Diggs tweet was Please. just one day he tweeted something like, like chapstick is important. And I was just like, okay, I get this one. This is the first one I get. This is the thing about when people, when people are making a big deal out of his tweets, which, you know, ultimately did result in him getting traded. It was like, he's always done this guys. Like the entire time he's here, he had these weird one sentence things that you just like, I'm all for out of context quotes or whatever is coming to your mind. But like, what are you talking about, dude? But I got the chapstick one. Very important. Can't live without it. The funniest people are the saddest ones. <laughs> Stefan Diggs tweet or Confucius <laughs> proverb? I'm going to go Confucius proverb. Oh, you got it. Two in a row. You're on a hot streak. I mean, <laughs> at least we know from those Friday locker rooms that there's a lot of, a uh, lot of laughing going on. So I don't know. I don't know if they think, that, you know, I, I don't know if Diggs is that deep. All right. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. Water definitely has a taste. <laughs> okay. That's it. <laughs> that's that. Confucius wasn't saying, I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> <laughs> you got you got three in a row. I, I'm, I'm proud of you. All right. In troubled waters, I learn how to float. Stefan Diggs tweet or Confucius proverb? Okay, this might be the most difficult one. Troubled waters. That does sound like something he would say, but I'm gonna say Confucius. Nope, that is a Diggs oh, tweet. Man. That was a Stefan Diggs original. It, oh, maybe this was like really deep, like referring to all the lakes in Minnesota and just like, you know, how troubled the waters were and ships, Viking ships. He learned how to float on his own. It might be. It might be. Yeah. Total reference to wanting to stay with the Vikings. Absolutely. Um, all right. To be wronged is nothing unless you continue to remember it. Oh, um, I mean, I, I like that. That's good. I might use that because it's from Confucius. Ah, you got it. You got <laughs> it. Back on track. All right. A couple more. Everything that was done in the dark is about to come to light. Okay. I think that's Diggs. I feel yeah. like I remember. Yeah. I feel like I remember this one. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, all right. Two more. The gem. People, I'm sorry. Oh, Do people just think that like Diggs is a, is a wacko because of these tweets? Like he's not the most adjusted person that I've ever been around as some athletes aren't, but also he's, he's not a lunatic, like in real life. He's no, 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 no. He's not. <laughs> he just, he loves to play to the crowd and kind of be that kind of mysterious, like, yes, yeah, I'm going to yeah, yeah. say something, but I'm going to purposely be ambiguous. So you don't know right. exactly what I mean, whether it's a, and the thing is I couldn't do emojis with this. Cause of course, Confucius before uh, emojis, yeah. a little bit, but <laughs> we, you know, I had to do some of these ones that, you know, were a little more kind of, um, muses, you know, just him sitting there thinking, because yeah. like half of his tweets are, yes, they're not crazy. They're just like, what do you guys think is better? Friday night lights or, right. Um, right. you know, remember the Titans or something. Right. And just my, my general interactions with him throughout his career were like, fine, this, you know, normal. They're short, he was, short of he him was, faking an illness. And yeah, yeah, yes. He's had, he had his moments, <laughs> yeah. he had his moments, but, he, but, yeah. but even then, even then. I thought he showed that he's not like a sociopath because even he looked at a bunch of people that knew him pretty well in us. And he was just like, I'm sorry. I, that was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> like you guys know I'm like, he laughed at himself being ridiculous. So I thought that was a little moment of like, there's some guys who can completely put on a show up there. And we look at each other sometimes and like, what is going on with this? But with him, it was like, no, I can't, I can't do that. I just skip practice. Cause I hate this offense. 
Sorry, it was the tra- it was the trademark. I want to get traded. Yeah. It was it was the trademark wink that he would always drop right yes. after you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would do something insane and then kind of let you know, like I know what I'm doing. It's it's I'm I'm trying to be that way. Put that off. All right, two more. The gem can't be polished without friction. Stefan Diggs tweet or Confucius proverb? I think that's Diggs. Ah, it's Confucius. Oh, okay. Well, it just sounds like kind of his thing, right? Like polishing your routes or whatever. I'm a gem receiver. I don't know. (laughs) Last one. Airplane food, ain't it? Uh, yeah, I think that's Diggs. I I don't know. What what type of air travel did Confucius have? When did Confucius live? Uh, Who is this person? A long time ago, but he could also be immortal and, you know, just kind of transcend time. Still be dropping quote. That would be if like, it was a fake (laughs) Confucius quote that you found on the internet. Yes, exactly. I should have said, I should have said that was Confucius. That's what I should have said. (laughs) All right, let's do one more game here for you. I took this directly from you because you've done things like Vikings camp body or boy band member, I believe. (laughs) Yeah, correct. I want to do one where I test your knowledge of the 2013 Minnesota Vikings training camp roster or the 2013 American Idol semifinalists. Oh, wow. 2013, huh? This is tough because these names, I mean, they could be singers, absolutely, or they could be offensive tackles that you've never heard of. (laughs) All right. Was this person a 2013 Vikings training camp body or a 2013 American Idol semifinalist? Chris Summers. I'm going to say that Chris Summers was a Vikings camp body. Good job. Good job. One, one and one wide receiver out of Liberty. I need like sounders, like a ding, ding, ding. I need something like that to uh, connote you uh, nailing these. All right. Next one. Elijah Lou. Elijah Lou. Uh, I'm going to go. That was a, uh, that was a finalist. God, good job, man. Did, yeah. So wait, you're going to tell me that here that you're an American Idol savant, like you watch all these? <laughs> no, I watched, I think like maybe the first season of American Idol. Like what's Ruben Stutter doing these days? You're around? <laughs> Elijah Liu saying stay by Rihanna. I don't know if Chris Summers did that. Cortez Shaw. Mm. Cortez sounds like a Viking camp body name. So I think that you would use it. So I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to go singer. Ah, good job. Yeah. You see your, your instinct was a hundred percent, right. Uh, he sang locked out of heaven by Bruno Mars. Demarcus love. Demarcus love was definitely a Viking camp body. Yeah. That was that was a little easier. Cause he was a, it was actually a draft pick. I yes, think in 2011. I, yeah. Yep. 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 I remember, Off- I, I remember doing my, my draft, you know, look at all these seventh rounders that didn't make it or whatever. And yeah. Offensive tackle out of Arkansas. Might be a singer too. We don't know. Could be. Anthony McLeod. Hmm. Anthony McLeod sounds extremely like a football player. So I'm just going to go opposite of the instincts and go singer here. I finally got you. Uh, Finally got you. Defensive tackle out of Florida State. Very much a Vikings training camp body. Vincent Powell. Vincent Powell also sounds like a football player. So I am once again going to go with this is an American Idol singer. Ah, you're right. You're back on track. End of the road, boys to men. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Final people one. Are, wait, be, be, oh, people are still singing in 2013, <laughs> end of the road by boys to men. Man, that's uh, like that's like um everyone plays that at their uh you know like senior dance or something, right? Yep. In the nineties. <laughs> yeah, Not now. I think I heard that even in the in the two thousands when I was still going to school. All right, Camden Wentz. Camden Wentz, I'm going to say is a Viking 
Um, what's sort of linebacker? Maybe. Man, man, I didn't get you on this one. Six, you got six out of seven right. Camden Wentz was a center out of NC oh, State. Oh, center. Okay. Yeah. Center out of NC State. Good I, job. I tried, I tried for the heat check there with like guessing his <laughs> position. I don't really recall the guy. <laughs> the uh, digs, the digs or uh, Confucius Proverbs one. That was a little bit tough. I feel like I've performed well at, at sort of my own games here. <laughs> you really did. You know what? I probably shouldn't try to play the creator of the games. That's probably that is, what. That's right. That was probably my fault, but I did enjoy looking through the archives of Stefan Diggs tweets. I got a few laughs, laughs out of tremendous. That. That yes, <laughs> that's both both game. That that's a great that's a great invention. That's great. I I am gonna have to steal that back from you because that's good. Please do. There are enough tweets to go around. So. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being on here. I do appreciate you taking the time, and I can't wait to see you back out there for another OTA session on the grassy knoll. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me. All right, now let's transition to an interview I did recently with Zach Von Rosenberg, the Vikings' new rookie punter out of LSU. He was undrafted signing. He's going to compete with Britton Colquitt this summer for the Vikings' job. He was the oldest player in college football last year at 30 years old because he walked on to LSU's campus, tried a few different positions, uh, tight end, quarterback, before landing at punter, and became one of the SEC's more consistent punters before deciding, hey, maybe I should pursue an NFL career because he's a former baseball pitcher. He spent six years in the minor leagues. He's a 2009 draft pick by the Pirates, a two-time Mr. Baseball in the state of Louisiana back in high school. Uh, he's got an interesting story to tell. And we, we start this interview off with Zach being about a half hour late for our interview because an NFLPA meeting with the Vikings rookies had gone long because of some technical difficulties. So that's where we'll pick up with Zach. He ran 36 minutes long. <laughs> no problem. What do you guys got going on? It was, uh, it was a player benefits meeting and something malfunctioned in the middle of the thing. And we had to re- they had to reset all of our stuff and it was chaos. <laughs> uh, I thought we'd move past this. Was it technology like Zoom stuff or what do you mean? Yeah, yeah, it was on Zoom. Uh, and we were just actively enrolling as the lady instructed us to do things and in the middle of it we were we all got locked out of the player benefits website <laughs> awesome it's just one more thing right yeah right um well Sam, i appreciate you taking the time to do this i won't take up too much more of your time today but um i just wanted to ask about your journey and kind of share it with vikings fans here um and you've done a lot of, of press obviously about this and so I've, I've hopefully got some useful leads here but um, I just wanted to ask, first and foremost, how did rookie minicamp go? Like, how, how has the team kind of received you so far? Uh, you know, it's it's been it's been fun because it's it reminds me of you know whenever I was eighteen signing with the Pirates and you get that you know I don't know the giddiness or the excitement of excitement is a better word of just going somewhere new. I've been at LSU for so long uh, now for five years, over five years, really. And I was like the veteran guy, the old guy on the team. And, you know, and then now I'm coming to a completely different dynamic. I have no, you know, uh, what do you call it here? Experience here. I've never, you know, the last time I was in Minnesota, I was actually throwing a baseball, uh, in the old Minnesota twin stadium. Uh, and that would have been in 2008. Um, so it's been a long journey to get back here and, uh, in a completely different sport, which is, which is pretty crazy. See, we're pitching in the Metrodome back then, huh? Yeah, that was for the perfect game showcase uh, back in 2008. What, I guess just athletically, like why, because obviously you're not considered old by any stretch of any other realm of society except athletics. Um, what, 
What um, what continues to kind of drive you to to do this? Like, why did you decide to pursue the NFL? You know, I, I didn't at first uh, at LSU. My first goal was to be the punter at LSU, and that was after I you know I started pursuing punting again, and I was content. I was completely content with being a starting punter in the SEC and winning a national championship at LSU. You know, and uh, but you know in the developmental process. And realizing how fresh my legs were because, you know, there was an eight-year span there where I wasn't kicking footballs. During that period, uh, you know, rest, I guess, if you will, coming back and getting into football shape to play other positions, I, I, you know, I realized later on how strong my leg actually was still. And over the course of five years, developing that and constantly trying to get better, you, you progress to the point where, like, you know what, maybe maybe I am good enough. And then you have that realization where you're hitting, you know, your consistency and your, your leg strength is on par with NFL punters. And all of a sudden it's more of a, uh, you know, you're, I'm one of those people that loves to change their goals. Once I reach a, a you know, a, a goal, I guess, or accomplish something, I always have to strive for something else. And it's not unreasonable goals. It's always achievable goals, but they're not, they're not easy to reach. And uh, so that, that, that next step in the process now is to be an NFL punter and not only be an NFL punter, but to be, you know, an elite NFL punter. What are you hoping to do here? You said become an elite NFL punter. So you're hoping to kind of have a full second athletic career here, right? Absolutely. Uh, And I know that, you know, because I've had to, you know, I am 30 now. Uh, I've had to change the way I do things. And that comes with the territory of wanting to do things. You have to make sacrifices that, maybe other people aren't willing to make and you know in terms of clean eating drinking more water you know i know it sounds cliche but taking care of your body is probably the most important thing in terms of longevity in any athletic sport and uh, and that's why tom brady's still around so at some point you have to make a decision and say you know what i'm older now i can't be you know doing certain things can't be eating all this fried food anymore even though i'm from louisiana and <laughs> you know you make decisions that other people aren't willing to make because uh, you know maybe that fried chicken that they would have on a friday night makes them happy and i get that because i miss it too but at the same time if you want to if you want to those little things those little sacrifices are the things that are going to be big later on when you're trying to have a five six eight, even 10 year NFL career. I mean, Adam Vinatieri kicked until he was 46 years old. And I would say that my leg is way more fresh than his because he kicked (laughs) nearly his entire life. Whereas I, you know, from age 18, really 18, 17 years old until I was almost 26, I didn't kick a football. And, uh, so the joke is I have a young leg, right? (laughs) My, my, my shoulder is probably not that young. It's been throwing baseballs forever, but, uh, my, my legs have been, you know, very fresh for me. Well, speaking of the shoulder, I'd read that you had to practice as the set, the backup quarterback because of COVID stuff last year at LSU. Is that right? I did. I did. I actually have some uh, good film if you want me to send it to you. It's actually <laughs> pretty pretty hilarious. <laughs> what do you mean hilarious? So it didn't go well? Yeah, oh, I know. It went great. That's oh. the funny part. It was, it was <laughs> unexpected, unexpectedly good, I guess. <laughs> well, tell me about that. What do you mean? So were you surprising the defense a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I was just, you know, talking a little bit of smack, and I, I took it very, very seriously. I'm a very, you know, it's probably to a fault, but I'm a very competitive person, and it it's probably helped me um, get to this level. Uh, but I take pride in my competitiveness and 
I don't care if we're playing ping pong. I'm going to win. And you know what I mean? I, I take that attitude to literally everything. And it's again, it's probably a fault. And at certain points in my life, my parents probably hated it because I never let my younger brothers win at anything. <laughs> but they just got this, the same treatment that my older brothers gave me. And um, so that that side of that competitiveness is my edge. And, you know, I, I it, we could be competing over nothing. And I, I still care because I'm winning, you know, and that's <laughs> that sounds really trivial, but. Uh, it's just one of those things you take pride in things you do. And I want to keep putting jerseys on and winning is the only way you get to keep putting jerseys on the Vikings go 11 and five this year, or actually there's 17 games, yeah. you know, but the teams love to build around winners. And if you're on a consistently winning, you know, with a winning program, they're going to keep as many of those guys on the team as possible because the formula is there already. How big is your family? And then certainly you've got the bragging rights now, right? That's right. Uh, so I got, you know, my mom, my dad, and I, I have five boys. So I have four mm. brothers. I have two older, two younger. So I'm the one right in the middle that nobody cares about. <laughs> well, that can't be the case. Now, like I said, you've <laughs> got to have the bragging rights, right? <laughs> of course, of course, yeah. Um, so do you come from an athletic family, though? Did anybody else play college sports or anything like that? Uh, my two older brothers were athletic. They played high school football, but they kind of hung it up after that. Gabe, my younger brother, uh, pitched at Southeastern Louisiana, and he, you know, he was good. And then my youngest brother, Grant, also played football. He played center for my high school. So pretty much everybody played sports pretty much their whole lives. Uh, I just was the one that took the competitiveness part a little further than the rest uh, because I, you know, I was also fortunate enough to, you know, have the frame. I'm, you know, six five you know, uh, 235 pounds, you know, so I was very, very blessed to, to have the frame to be a pitcher. It's a perfect pitcher, you know, size. And it's also ironically, the, some of the best punters in the game are that size, you know, so I've been very fortunate in that aspect. Well, speaking of that and, and going through just some of the, the stuff you've done. So, so people know, obviously you were a two time Louisiana, Mr. Baseball, you, um, you know, play pitched six years in the minors, then you transitioned to LSU. And I'd read that you put on 40 pounds to be a tight end there at first, and then you tried out quarterback. And I wanted to ask just broad strokes, what's the hardest thing you've had to do in sports? In your athletic career, What's what would you say is the most difficult? Sure, putting on that 40 pounds was rough. Yeah? That was, that was definitely up there. That 40 pounds was – that was a grind. And – uh I'm just, I'll just say this. I'm happy I don't have to walk across campus anymore weighing 260 pounds because that was misery. <laughs> <laughs> How did you do it? Like It just starts off with, all right, it's going to be X amount of calories a day. So I would essentially consume 2,000 calories before 10 a.m. every day. And then on top of that, I'd have two protein shakes, at least 2,000 calories each, and, and just eat like – eat like I was competitive, like that guy that eats those hot dogs. I'd eat like that guy every day. <laughs> oh, my God. And all that, all that to play tight end, too, which is not necessarily a fun position all the time. No, yeah, and it was one of those things where I, I saw the writing on the wall. Even though I, I gained all that weight, I, I my speed and my agility and my ability went down at that weight. I, I You know, I just it was too much too fast. I wasn't. I wasn't built to be that big and guys in the NFL, you know, they can put on a weight and it doesn't really change too much about their speed and athleticism. Well, I would say that my athleticism drastically dipped when I was that big. 
And um, so I, I, I saw the writing on the wall, and I realized that I would not, I probably would not have an impact on our team at tight end at LSU. And that was when the next step took over. It's like, you know what? Maybe it's time to, maybe it's time to punt. So how quickly did that forty pounds fall off? Well, the first twenty fell off like very, very rapidly. It was uh, I, I hovered around two forty for a little while, and then the, the the weight after that was more difficult. But yeah, the first twenty pounds just fell off like it wasn't. All I had to do was stop eating. I'm pretty sure I got like sick of food for a little while there. Oh my god! I just couldn't even look at food anymore. But it wasn't again. It wasn't bad once I got once I got down below two forty. I could I could fluctuate pretty easily. A lot of a lot of what I do is just different. I can diet and lose five pounds pretty quickly, and it's it's pretty easy now. I speak. You had brought up ping pong. I had read that also that you beat Joe Burrow one time and kind of never let him live it down. <laughs> well, we had we had epic battles. There was there was a lot more than one. It was it was some epic. Uh, we played a lot of ping pong. Um, Mimi and Joe and another walk-on player that was a wide receiver were all the best on the team at LSU. And, uh, yeah, we, we went at it. I, I don't know how many games we played, but it was it was probably 25 or 30, just me and Joe. And then, uh, I don't know, total, I don't know how many I played at LSU, but it was a lot. Does that come from baseball? Because just killing time in a clubhouse, you get good at ping pong? Yeah, so I, I over the course of six years in minor leagues, you play a bunch of, you know, whether it be Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Venezuelans, they're all unbelievable ping pong players. And you get tired of getting beat and, you know, being competitive and knowing that I could get better. I had to make sure that I improved enough to, uh, to give them a run, run for their money. And eventually I got really good uh, at ping pong and at pool for a little while. Uh, but I take more pride in ping pong because it's more of a, you know, more action, I guess. Pool's a little too slow of a game for me. <laughs> Um, I'd also, somebody had mentioned too, in one of the stories about you that, uh, I think a teammate calls you weirdly skilled. Like it's just, you, just off the wall things that you can just know or do. I mean, what's, what's a talent that not a lot of people know about that, uh, that you have? Uh, I, I can play the piano. Um, I actually taught myself, I injured myself in 2013 and it was kind of a bad time for me in my life because it was just like I that year I really felt like I put my best foot forward in terms of preparation for that season to immediately get injured and I was in a pretty dark place and uh, so during that two three month period I watched YouTube videos and taught myself how to play the piano I can't read music but I can play play by ear pretty much and you know I got pretty decent at it you got to have too an intellectual curiosity to do that kind of stuff like what do you want to do when it's when it's not sports Shoot, that's something I keep putting off, and I think that's why I think that's why I uh, I pursue athletics so so hard. And you know, the cliche thing for me to say would be to be a coach, but I feel like in today's age, I'd be too hard on. You know, I can't imagine my my poor son one day. I'm um, I'm just you know just the way I had a military dad, and my oldest brother took me under his wing, Josh, and so you can imagine how strict my upbringing was mm-hmm. and how structured you know, around sports it was, it was very, but here's the best part is I, I wanted to be the best baseball player in Louisiana and the whole Southeast region. And the, you know, every single day I wanted to do something. It wasn't like they were really pushing me that hard. It was, you know, I was the one asking them to do stuff. Um, but I, I guess coaching would be something I'd like to adopt. Uh, but, but yeah, no, I want to play this game as long as, as long as the Minnesota Vikings will let me play, you know, and I think uh, I think I'm doing everything in my power 
and that I need to to, to play. Shoot, I, I don't think it's unrealistic to play 10 years. Well, going back to your, your baseball career, too, I, I'd read that you pitched against Byron Buxton in the minors. Is that right? I did. I pitched against him and uh, Miguel Sano. Uh, they were playing, that would have been in Florida, in the Florida State League. I pitched against both of them. And so you're telling me that putting on 40 pounds is harder than getting the ball past one of those guys? Uh, I mean, that pitching's natural. Up until that point, gaining weight was very difficult for mm-hmm. me. And I say that now, like my, my metabolism has slowed down significantly. So I, I probably can't say that anymore. But at the time <laughs> when I was putting on weight, it was very difficult for me to put on weight. Well, with baseball, you said you wanted to be the best the best out there. How hard was that? Because I'd also seen that you kind of dealt with some numbness in the hand and you didn't even want to change to a position player because you were so, you just, pitcher was going to be the thing. How hard was it to let that go? Oh, yeah, that was a... Uh... You know, I, the best way to put it is I, I put all that frustration and um, failure, anger at failure. It, it wasn't really anger. It's just um, it, more frustration with myself and how my baseball career went because it didn't. I feel like it didn't occur on my terms. And I applied that to football in, in the sense that I took out my frustrations in the weight room, if you will, at LSU at first and got really, really strong those first two years um to the point where like i you know i needed to slim up to be a punter mm-hmm. um but no i i really took out all that frustration uh in in i hit the gym if, I, for lack of a better word that's the best way to put it uh because baseball that first dream ended and i didn't really have a good coping mechanism because i you know i'd never failed at baseball and uh once the failure finally happened i guess you know i i was fortunate enough to have another sport to jump right into and really, and really, you know, I was even though I was a walk-on, I could go into the weight room five days a week with Tommy Moffat, who's a legendary strength coach, and, and get you know, get my lift on and play some you know screamo music as loud as I wanted to in there and go to go to town, you know. Well, when you got cut by the Pirates, though, didn't didn't you get a job offer somewhere, and you you were you weren't even going to go back to LSU? I thought until you, I read your mom kind of said, "Hey, this this was going to be the plan all along." Yeah, I had an opportunity. But I, my, my mom, my mom was really like, "Look, you promised me in 2009 that you'd, you'd go back to school." And I think there is a timeline. I don't know about it anymore, but back when I signed my contract, there's a certain timeline of time uh, that once you're done playing baseball, you have to enroll in school. I don't know mm-hmm. if it was one year or two years, but it was a very short period of time. And once I realized that I had to get the ball rolling with school, that's when I was like, "Okay, I, I have to, you know, I have to enroll at LSU if I want to." you know, reap the benefits of getting money for going to school from the pirates. Whereas now I think you could just, it's just all you have to do is attend college. They've changed the program around, but back when I signed my contract, it was very strict. I think within 12 months of ending your baseball career, you had to, you had to enroll in college. Well, what was the job offer that you turned down? Uh, well, I was going to go to work in West Texas, um, and just be an oil, oil man, but, I decided I decided I should go to school instead. <laughs> Going to work in the oil fields? Like really? Yeah. Oh yeah. There's there's money to be made out in West Texas. It's uh, there's Midland. There's a couple areas. The Permian Basement. There's a there's a bunch of spots out there that you can do really well with no college degree. Oh wow. Um. So that's that's not in the long term plans because you got to be I suppose a, a young a young guy working those oil fields, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. And plus you're away. Like you're nobody. I mean. I don't want to say nobody wants to live there, but it's it's a very uh, 
it's you're grinding you know it's a grind to to go out there and be away from your family and everybody you know you know it's not a it's not all the people that work there are out of towners when you had mentioned you've answered this question quite a bit before but what was it like being the oldest player in college football last year yeah, it was. I mean, it was getting strange. Uh, COVID made it worse uh, because we didn't get to get familiar with our incoming players because of that spring and summer were awkward. You kind of that's kind of the phase of when you get to know the young guys. And once that was taken away from us, we basically went all the way into fall camp, and you barely know anybody, any of the new guys. You just you're just showing up and like, oh, here we are. This is our team, and. Um, you know, but and plus all the COVID protocols, you couldn't do certain things. It was very, it made it a very difficult season in terms of making a team camaraderie um, because you didn't get to have the same uh, foundation laid in the spring and summer leading up to the season and meeting, you know, having comfortability with guys before the season started. So that made that that season a little bit different. But yeah, being the oldest guy in college football was was, was strange. You know, I I. I didn't know how to take it because I was fortunate enough to have that guy in Colorado State my entire career leading up to that point. <laughs> he was he was he was playing so like cool, I'm not the oldest, I'm not the oldest, and then finally he was done and now I'm the oldest. Like, oh, great. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna hear this everywhere I go. And sure enough, you know, anytime somebody talked about me, that was the first thing that came up. That's right, because it was like a some thirty three year old kicker who retired, right? Yep, yep, that's what it was. <laughs> Um, well, and just in general, though, I'd read too that you're, you know, you're giving guys 401k advice, financial, just life advice too. I mean, were you kind of looked at as this, um, kind of a mentor for some of these guys? Yeah. Um, a lot of guys just ask me about professional sports because it is so different from college sports. Um, and they were just seeking to understand the dynamic and how things shift from college to professional leagues. And that was more the, the questions I got than anything. And, and at the same time, yeah, a little bit of life advice just because, you know, being 30 years old, you do have more life experience than somebody. Heck, you pay taxes. And um, <laughs> a lot of guys in college don't really have to worry about that until yeah. once they either get to the NFL or get a job. So uh, things are a little bit different. And uh, but, yeah, no, it was it was it was interesting for sure. Um, getting to the end of my career. Uh, Zach, is there anything else you wanted to add just kind of about your journey to this point and looking forward? No, I, I think we'll. Uh, I think we're going to have a good team next year. I think. I think. Uh, I think we'll be good. Um, you know, just I'm. I'm very optimistic. I like our our locker room already, and the guys that we have. We have a lot of characters, and that's the kind of that's the kind of team you need. You always need guys that keep everybody loose, and we definitely have those guys. Absolutely, Zach. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. No problem.